Everybody and welcome to the HTML All Things Podcast, episode number 61, Learning UI Development. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and want to support us, there are a couple of ways that you could do that. You can review us on the Apple Podcasts. I almost said the Apple Podcast Store. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or on the podcast platform that you can listen or that you are listening to this on. Uh, you can also check us out on Patreon. We only have a couple of tiers right now, but that three dollar tier will give you a shout out in the podcast and we'll share a link to your website in the show notes. And the most important one is, of course, to just share this. Whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the uh, the new the newfangled TikTok, just share this with your friends. Let them know that we're here and ready to be listened to. And if they want to go a step further, they can come and hang out with us in our Discord server our discord server is going very rapidly it is rapidly approaching 200 users if it isn't already at that point so we got lots of people in there chatting away about wordpress webflow css js php whatever it is we got a bunch of people in there different experts in different areas as well as well as a bunch of good off-topic conversation as well so come and check that out link in the show notes but as we always do weekly pain point mike take it away all right. Uh, my weekly pain point was learning Flutter slash Dart. Uh, so this is Flutter. We've talked about a couple times on the sh- in the show. It's a cross-platform development framework that allows you to develop for both iOS and Android. Now, with the newest update, it actually allows you to develop for the web as well with some caveats here and there. But this isn't a Flutter episode, so I'll talk about that later. Uh, but essentially what I'm doing is learning a completely new language called Dart, which is what Flutter is based on. And it's a very object-oriented, Java-esque, C-sharp-esque language. So it kind of is a very big shift from JavaScript. So I had to kind of go in and learn it almost from scratch from the beginning, get a really good foundation. Once I got that foundation, I kind of went on. But that was definitely my pain point. What about you, Matt? So this this week, my pain point is that I am uh, sicker, specifically sicker than Mike was. I just wanted to make a. I just wanted to make a little bit of a competition this out of it. This isn't a competition. So, this isn't so a competition. If you hear me cough and you hear me sneeze, it is not. It is not at the same magnitude of Mike. It is at a higher magnitude than Mike was last week. I just want to let everybody know that I sacrificed more by being here today than Mike did last week. I like how we're doing the you heavy episode this week too, and then we did the me heavy episode the week that I was sick. So yeah, it's a good trend. We should keep it up. Yeah, every so, time that we're sick, that means that we get that episode. Which which is which is a bad idea considering you're probably going to do a worse perf- like whoever's sick yeah, is oh going to yeah. do a worse performance. But again, but- please note that I'm making the bigger sacrifice here. So <laughs> so um, ter- um talking about learning UI development. Um, we got a couple of different segments here. I, I kind of wanted to just talk about specifically uh, UI development and how I kind of got started um, and, and what um, I do to learn and that type of thing. Now, we also this is also going to be kind of like a not a part one, but there's going to be a companion episode that Mike is going to do um, on some, you know, JS and those type of technologies that, that's going to happen either next week or within the within the next few weeks. So if you're if you're more on the JS side of things, uh, you know, rest assured that there's going to be an episode for you coming up. Um, but let's just jump right in here to the first segment, which is learning types and material types. So this is kind of like, it's not a disclaimer. It's just sort of like a, a boilerplate, if you will, for the episode. So 
What I want to acknowledge is that there are a lot of different types of learners out there. So some examples include watching someone else do the job, uh, reading or listening to theory, and then just applying that knowledge later. Um, or some people are just more hands-on and they just want to jump right in and you know try to figure everything out themselves or you know maybe they'll look things up as they need to when they get stuck, you know, et cetera. There's a bunch of different types of learners out there. So I just, I just want to state that up front because anything that I say in the, in the next segments, um, especially about my experience are going to be my learning type and my learning type to kind of disclose that, if you will, is that I learn best by going through traditional examples. So written material or video content. I kind of get my bearings and then I slowly expand my knowledge as I explore different concepts and methodologies. So I just kind of jump right in once I have my bearings like, oh, okay, you need an HTML file and a CSS file. Okay, let's just jump in. Let's see how to get and kind of get things done. Um, as I go through different concepts and different methodologies, I will look them up. So I'll get stuck frequently and then I just kind of look things up and um, I will sometimes, although very rarely go back to that sort of theory stage, whether I'm, you know, watching a video or reading stuff, um, unless I'm actually trying to get my bearings again. So obviously just by watching a few videos or reading a couple of articles in the beginning, you're only getting your bearings in a certain area. So if I need to do something like, I don't know, I've never saved data before in a cookie. So, you know, that's kind of a whole new area. I'll kind of jump back to that theory stage and then I'll jump back into messing around with it myself. So just, just, like I said, just kind of a boilerplate for this episode. If you learn differently, you know, that's totally fine. And uh, the last segment in this episode will include a bunch of resources uh, that you can jump in to, that can hopefully help learners of all, if not most types. So what's interesting, uh, actually, Matt, to just interrupt you here is that our methods of learning are very similar. Uh, and l- like you said, I just want to kind of reiterate the fact that there are a bunch of different methods for learning. Like there's a traditional class method as well, like going to class, you know, school method in general. But for me, I think I do the same thing as you is I get my bearings. So I get a very good base. And we talk about that like quite a bit in this podcast is that base. And once I have that base, I don't go in and start learning advanced features of whatever stuff that I'm learning. I go in and try to do something. I try to actually use the the base knowledge to be able to you know start creating a ui or start creating like something in the framework that i'm using uh and then i will just specifically like if i need to use something like you said the cookie management i'll go in and learn a little bit about that cookie management on how to implement it but i think giving that like knowing that base knowledge allows you to kind of approach the problems in a completely different sense when you're just kind of going in from nothing because uh, and this is why I'm talking about this is that I just learned kind of the very base knowledge of dart and flutter and I, I approached it exactly like you said I went in I I listened to like a it was a pretty hefty tutorial it was about five hours so I listened to a five-hour tutorial while doing some coding along like very basic coding along and once I finished that tutorial it like it gave me a completely different perspective on my problem um, and I was able to kind of go at my problem that I was trying to solve from a, from a very, you know, structured perspective rather than just throwing stuff from the documentation on the wall and seeing what sticks, which is what I was doing before I did that tutorial. Uh, so I think it's definitely one of those things where it, it is person to person, but you and I both have a very similar way of approaching a problem. So maybe the audience, if you're out there and you're having trouble learning, give this method approach give this method a a shot and see if it works for you. Obviously, if it doesn't move on to a different method, that's another really big part of this is like, try to find the method that works for you and then try to see if that sticks. Like if it actually works across different platforms, across different frameworks and stuff like that. 
one thing I actually have, I actually have a question about your method since we're so similar is one of the things I struggle with, with my method, um, or with our method, I guess, is that I struggle to know when to do what you just did. So when to jump into the theory or like jump into like the more traditional learning again. And one of the examples I would give would be just a real simple one would be when learning, let's say CSS for the first time, you know, you start learning your basic stuff, like your colors and crap like that. And like how to change your background color, your padding or whatever. But then when I go to like learn something more advanced, something like responsivity methods, I won't jump back to theory because I struggle to know when I'm just struggling myself or when I need to actually, you know, like when I'm actually entering a, like a new, like new territory, like when I'm breaking new ground, like, do you have any tip on like not sitting there wasting your time with like your current knowledge? I don't know if I'm being clear with that, but it's yeah, like, no, yeah, go ahead. Like it's, I think, I think I got it. I think I got it. So, um, when to kind of start looking back at the theory portion of it, like what, what's the indicator that you don't know this well enough is what you're asking. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so for me, and like, again, this is really fresh for me. It was the point where I didn't understand what I was copy pasting. So a lot of the times when we're coding and developing, we'll, we'll be taught that, you know, it's okay to copy paste code from stack overflow and all that. The key thing is when you're copy pasting code, you should at least understand what it's doing. You don't have to understand all the intricacies of everything, but when you read it, you should be able to be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So this, this does this, this does this, this does that. Like you don't have to, again, you don't have to understand what the underlying framework of whatever you're copy pasting is doing, but at least understand what each part of it is doing. And so when I was copy pasting code from the documentation of Flutter and putting it into my application, I wasn't understanding what was going on. So at that point, I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. Like I can't, I can't be just putting stuff on a screen and then not understanding where to manipulate. Like you, I don't, I didn't know where to even input, like where, where to put the structure of my UI, if you know what I mean. Like I didn't know where, my, what the best place for my like column was, what the best place for my row was. Uh, I knew like I could copy paste it and put it on the screen. Right. I could have a couple rows and a couple columns, but when I had, when I went to manipulate it, I was like, well, which part am I, do I need to manipulate? Is this part is this? like, it, it, that's, that was my point where it was like, okay, I'm copy pasting this and I'm getting it to run, but I'm not understanding what's going on. I have to go back to the basics. So I think the answer would be exactly that. When it's okay to copy paste, but make sure that you understand what you're copy pasting. If you don't understand what you're copy pasting, that would be the indicator to go back and maybe read a tutorial, watch a YouTube video, do a course on whatever that topic is, and then keep moving forward. And keep moving forward to the point where like, again, you can go back to copy pasting little chunks of code, writing your own code. But when you get to that point again, that's when I would go back. Okay, that that's, that's really interesting. That makes sense. Because I'll often find myself, and I'm sure you, same thing, is like you'll jump into like a Stack Overflow. You'll be like, how do I, just go back to the original example, how do I save data to a cookie? And then they'll start using like a bunch of like, you know, web API calls or like whatever, like whatever they're doing to do this, right? There's a bunch of ways you could do it. But like, um, if I don't understand any of it, if I don't understand, you know, the very basics, or if they're using like a framework, and like, maybe I should be using a framework, like, you know what I mean? I'm totally lost. Like, I'm all over the place then I really should be like, okay, I need to reevaluate. I need to, I need to reevaluate and I need to quite literally just, just go and like dive into, like dive into Google and type in like, how do I save numbers or whatever to a cookie? And then just like read 
three or four articles to get my bearings on whether I should be using a framework or whatever. So, okay, that's, that's some good advice. That's some, cause that's definitely something I'm, <laughs> I'm real bad at. And I'll spend like hours or like, you know, days of, let's say, if it's like really, you know, research or something, I'll spend like days being like, how the hell do I do this? But then it's like totally new ground that I didn't, I would never have been able to figure out anyway. So, uh, good advice there. Um, but let's jump in right, let's jump in, uh, to this, you know, sort of first sort of hefty segment here. Um, and it's quite literally just learning UI development concepts. So one of the biggest things that you need to learn as a UI developer is how the DOM flows. So this, you might be thinking like, oh, well, I already know how it flows. Like it's super easy. It's super whatever. But when I was first starting out, this is something that I saw mentioned here and there, but not a lot. So I'm just going to dive into this material that I've written here. So it's basically like, like the flow is it's, it's basically how the browser sees your HTML and how it interprets it for rendering. So in its most basic form, imagine a web page that has nothing but HTML. If you run it, the browser will lay this out. They like, will, will lay, will, excuse me, will lay out this page in its quote unquote normal flow based on how the DOM is structured, based on how that HTML is structured. And this is something that is rarely mentioned in depth or at all on forums and guides when you're trying to like, you know, look up little things here and there, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? However, it is actually really crucial in how, in, in you actually making UIs work and how engineering solutions. If you understand how the browser sees your DOM in its most basic form, it makes engineering complex pages easier and allows you to properly plan out your CSS eventually when you get there, cutting down on needless wrappers and extra elements and a whole bunch of other stuff. And over time, that DOM's flow, that natural flow, will become a more basic, quote-unquote, muscle memory that you will always have in the back of your mind. So again, this is something that is like, it's simple enough that it's not like rocket science and it's something that can become a muscle memory. However, it's something that's really crucial. And I think that people who are, like, let's say you're listening to this and you've never built a web page at all. You've never written HTML, you've never written CSS, and you're just jumping in now. If you jump in right at the, uh, let's say the, the first couple articles in W3 schools, or let's say you, de- you decide on a really basic project and you start Googling that and you find some Stack Overflow articles, chances are those things are not going to mention the natural flow of the document. And so you're not going to really going to understand why things are structured the way they are. And so this is actually like a really critical, you know, relatively easy, but really critical first step that I really want to touch on because it's something that once I got a basic handle on it, my CSS became way cleaner and I was able to read a lot, read things a lot better and get rid of a heck of a lot of wrappers. Cause I was like wrapping, Oh, I'll do like a wrapper and then another wrapper and another wrapper to like wrap this. I was able to like scratch two or three of those wrappers easily once I kind of started understanding this. So it's something that I think is really important, um, to the beginning. But once you've got a basic handle on that, so you got a basic handle on the DOM, you're ready. Oh, I'm now I'm knocking my mic around. Once you got a basic handle on the DOM, uh, you're ready to start adding some styles with CSS. So generally, I'd say that you should want to choose something that you want to make, but like not, you don't want to say like, I want to make the world's best podcast site. Like that's ridiculous. Like choose something that you want to make that's basic and then slowly shape that project into what you want. So I'll just do like an extremely basic example and it'll kind of touch on the things that you'll learn even though it's like extremely simple. So if you, for example, want to make a box with rounded corners, a red background, and inside of that box, you literally just want the word box. So you'd get the, you get all your HTML set up and then you have like the word box in your DOM 
And now it's all ready to go. Your the word box is inside of you know a, a beginning and end div tag. You're good to go. The word box is in a div, nothing else. So now this is where you kind of start wanting to add your own styles. So I got five steps here. So step one is you want to add a border. So you're doing your first thing. You want to add a border. So when you're doing that, now you start to learn about the border property and you start learning about how there's like kind of like a shorthand for it. So you could do like border and then all in one line do, you know, one PX solid. And then let's say you want a black border. So then just do your hex code, which is all zeros for your, for the color black. So that's kind of like your shorthand, right? Where you, now you're learning like, oh, you know, the one PX is the, um, the border is one pixel thick and we want like kind of like the style, I guess, of the border. So it would be the, you know, we want it solid. We don't want it dotted or anything like that. And then we also want the color black. Boom. That's it. Now you've learned all about that. So now you're not only learning about the border property, but you're learning that there's these shorthands where sometimes you can kind of combine uh, what you have in one CSS property to make it easier. So you don't have, you know, three CSS properties set up necessarily. So then I have step two. Now you, that, now you, you know, you, you run, you run, if you will, your page and you realize that the border is too close to the word box. So you start looking up how to do that. And then you'll more than likely stumble upon the padding property, which in terms will, which in turn will probably make you stumble upon things like margin and learn about the, you know, the box model and how that works. Like, you know, what's padding, what's the difference between padding and margin, and, you know, what, what does padding do and where does it get added and how do I add it to all four sides? How do I add it to the left, the right, the top, the bottom, whatever. Now you're starting to learn padding. And so now that's another property, CSS property that's in your tool belt. Now you're ready to rock. So, you, you know, you add your padding and then that's the end of step two. Then step three, you want to, now you want to start rounding those corners, right? So you're like, okay, and I, I don't want this to be just like a sharp box. I want this to be all rounded. So then you start learning about the border radius property. And then you start learning about, okay, I can, I can make it, you know, more rounded or less rounded because, you know, what's the definition of rounded? How rounded is rounded? So now you can mess around with, the, with the uh, border radius property and how extreme you want it to be rounded, how, you know, how do you want it to be like kind of pointed, but just slightly rounded, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you start learning about adjusting properties like that. And you learned about the border radius property itself. Then step four, you follow, you, you follow this up with, okay, now you want your, your, your background. So you add a dark red background. So you learn about the backroom, the, the, the background color property. But then as a result, here comes step five. You realize like now I can't read the word box. The word box is by default in black and I can't read it because I got this dark red, um, you know, this dark red background. I can't read it. So now you learn about changing the you know, font, uh, font color and you learn about the color property and you learn about changing that color property so that now it's, let's say it's in white now. And so now you can see it. So I understand this is like a really, really super simple example. And I know that uh, like a lot of people out there would be rolling their eyes saying like, God, this is like super simple, but this is, this is stuff that people when they first start out need to kind of go through and like i like i just said there's five steps there for just the css it doesn't even include the the dom setup the html setup and for people that are brand new that don't know what's going on this would be an overwhelming potentially an overwhelming task where they would you know type it in to google like oh how do i make a rounded box or whatever then they would just copy and paste code but for those of us that want to learn each of the pieces this is sort of how it gets broken down. And then, of course, as time goes on, you learn so many CSS properties and you get so good at it and it becomes like that muscle memory that you just start ripping through stuff. Like I would just rip through this. It would be, you know, absolutely no problem. But for but there are several steps in every single thing. And this, in my opinion, this type of thing is the best way to learn new CSS properties. It's the best way to it's the best way to expand your knowledge. It's it's it, it's sort of like instead of you looking at 
a really complex, um, a really complex styled element on like any website. So you know how like when, you know, you kind of start getting into web development and you like inspect element on something on like Amazon and you're like, holy, like look at all these classes and these IDs and like look at all these properties. That's really over overwhelming. And so you're like, wow, like how the heck am I ever going to learn this? But this, this is the type of stuff that you need to do to learn this is you just need to slowly go through, learn the different properties. And then you actually, you just slowly add so much to your own, your own tool. You're like, you're adding so many tools to your own tool belt, your own CSS tool belt that you're just, you can just do the same thing that they're doing on Amazon to like style their logo or like whatever they're doing. So that, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at is it can be overwhelming, but this is how you sort of break it down. Now, Going through a scenario like this, or going through scenarios like this, excuse me, so going through them over and over and over again in different scenarios with increasing levels of complexity as time goes on, like I said, you're you're learning so many different CSS properties that you can add to your tool belt, but you're also learning little tricks of the trade. So you're learning things like, oh, I can add classes, and like, let's say all of my stuff, like all of my elements, they all have a border that's one pixel wide that's solid and has a black border, like it's a black one pixel wide border that's solid. Okay, perfect. I will have a class called like normal border and I can add that to all my elements instead of me constantly typing in that property. Like you'll learn little tricks and you will get more and more efficient and you'll be able to do more and more complex things with less classes, less IDs, less properties, and just straight up a smaller CSS file. Now, before long, you'll be able to make a variety of different practical UI elements. So something that's more useful than that box example with word boxes in a box. And you'll actually be able to do this without looking up any properties at all. You'll just see an element, like let's say some, let's say an artist makes an element in uh, Photoshop is a common one. So like they, they make some sort of, um, let's say, uh, let's say like a photo gallery layout and you'll just know, oh, okay, I need like flex and I need to do, you know, align content, this justify this, you know, align items, this, whatever. And you'll be able to just quickly bang, 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 go right, go right through the list and just know what to do with your HTML and your CSS. Now, my go-to learning element, if you will, to learn like increasing levels of complexity, and I've mentioned this a few times on the show, was actually a nav bar. And this is because it is reasonably complex. It has, you know, quite a bit of layout going for it. It has a logo generally, which is, you know, image manipulation. Then you also have multiple links and buttons. So you have a decent amount of like text and stuff like that that you need to align, make look nice. They can't overlap. They got to be readable. There's, they usually are animated with hover effects. They usually, um, will have different class like types. So like, for example, if you're on the homepage, maybe the, the, the homepage has the active class on it. So it'll be, you know, maybe a little bit faded out so that you like, it looks like, oh, you know, the user, you're on this one. Don't click this one again kind of thing. Just, you know, stuff like that. And in, on top of that, the nav bar is one of the things that change the most in most cases on a website when you have responsivity. So on a desktop, you have, let's say your five links, you know, your home, your gallery, your whatever, all across the top, just in plain out text. But then when you go to a phone, you now change to like the hamburger menu or the Navicon, and then you have like a list that pulls out. So now you got to do a little bit of control in there where it disappears and it comes back and that type of thing. And then that'll, that might need some JS. So this is, this is sort of why I'm going to cough now. <coughs> this is sort of why, excuse me, that this is so, um, th- th- that's why the, the nav bar was such, is such a crucial thing. Cause you can have a real simple nav bar. You can have a real busy nav bar. Like maybe there's social icons on there. Maybe there's other badges on there. Like if it's an app that the, like the website that's advertising an app, you can have like the app badges that say like download this in Google play or whatever. So this is something that I use to learn over and over and over and over again. And I even use nav bar generators to see how they generated the code to like, 
learn that. That's just how I learned it. You know, you can do whatever suits you, but that's just something that is, that's something that even today takes a decent amount of time on a website, depending on its complexity. Yeah. Uh, and another thing, and this is kind of like, um, a change in the industry and how, and how we learned and how to learn now is before there was, uh, well, there's still a lot of frameworks and stuff like that, but we, we used to learn something called the box model right when we started out. Now, what's made a lot like life a lot easier for web developers, especially in the UI department, is Flexbox has become, you know, supported by all the browsers, even going back a long time. All the Flexbox support is kind of up to date. Uh, and that makes making layouts, making grid like layouts, making column and row layouts a thousand times easier. Like I'm. I'm sure there's a lot of box people out there that still use box prop, like the, the block property, like all that stuff. But honestly, having used it, I don't know how many times I messaged you, Matt, being like, I can't center this. Like, how do you center this? And then you being like, you got to go margin auto or margin percentage and then go to the width percentage. Like centering used to take me forever. Especially vertically centering. Correct. Especially vertically centering. Uh, and responsivity was, that was even more, that was even worse. So that's where I think, uh, a lot of people w- would have leaned on a framework like Bootstrap. And that's where I kind of went to as well is like after hitting my head against the wall with the box model, I went to Bootstrap and I realized it was a little bit easier. It did manage a little bit of that, uh, layout for me, especially the run- responsivity portion of it. Going back now and looking at it, if I would just use Flexbox, I, I don't need a framework. Like it's so, I'm not going to say easy because nothing is easy. Like you have to, you still have to learn it. You still have to understand the ins and outs. There's still like little caveats and little, you know, gotchas here and there, but just learning, having a very good understanding of Flexbox will take you a long way in the layout department in learning UI development. Just understand how Flexbox works. Also moving on from Flexbox. And like, if you're listening to this episode in the future, grid is probably a big one. Thinking about grid now, like it's not. A replacement for Flexbox, in my opinion, like I think they will, they will be used in tandem. But having both of those as your tools is a extremely powerful thing that you that you don't need anything else. Honestly, if you have, if you have a browser that supports Grid and you have the Flexbox knowledge, you can build any sort of layouts you want. The responsivity you can do is crazy with Grid uh, and stuff like that. So invest your time understanding again the base knowledge. And we, we say this over and over again, don't just jump into a framework because again, you're kind of copy and pasting code at that point and not understanding how that code is working. And that's going to lead to problems down the line when you have complex layouts and stuff's not working together because you're not going to understand why it's not working. There's these little complex things like, well, there used to be a float with a clear fix problem. Uh, I, I haven't used floats in a very long time, but there used to be these little things where like, if you didn't understand the base property, you wouldn't understand why if you're you're using a bunch of different properties, why stuff isn't working together. So understand the base properties, understand the base components, and then move on to more complex things. Uh, like I know there's Tailwind CSS. Matt has talked about that many times. That, that's a really cool one. It's not really, it doesn't really help you lay anything out. It'll help you write your code in a more neat and uh, a, a easily, re- easier to read kind of manner, in my opinion. Well, that and that's a really good, that's a really good point. Like, especially with the clear fix thing that you mentioned. Um, where one second, I'm, I'm coughing again. <coughs> That's a really good thing that you mentioned with, with the clear fix is because you'll see this, you'll see this frequently with, um, things like WordPress actually. So WordPress, you'll see like a lot of, 
you'll see like a fair bit actually of like really messy code, I find. And a lot of it is actually like what has happened is users have gone in, right? Like just a standard user has gone in, didn't want to pay a dev and they wanted something, you know, a little bit custom on their website. So they Googled it. They copied some code from Stack Overflow. And then you'll see like six or seven clear fixes all over the damn place. And that's generally from a user finding out that clear fix often fixes things like floats which are often used you know often used in themes and like like you said you and i haven't really used it but it's they're still used you know pretty frequently in the in the industry and you'll see like six or seven clear fixes in places that don't even matter and it's because they're just trying desperately to like fix the alignment that they messed up or something like that and so like that's a really that's a really prime example of somebody who i mean in this case they're the users so they don't really need to know it necessarily but it's it's a prime example of like if you're a developer and you don't really know what's going on, you're gonna have messy code like that with clear fixes all over the damn place, you know, little caveats here and there, calcs everywhere, uh, things that are like correcting another thing. So instead of things just flowing properly, you're gonna have, you know, maybe your DOM is out of order and then you're correcting it with CSS and it, it, it like it's it's really awkward, like it's a really weird like layout, if you will. Um, we've seen things where people have wrapped a wrapper just because they want to apply a property to the whole thing, but there's already like a wrapper there. So it's like, apply it to the wrapper. Like, what are you doing? And then they have stuff like where they're trying to inherit the color from one thing and they can't. So then they like, they're using the same class on the wrapper of the wrapper on the element that needs to have, like it's, so what it, what it does is like, like it, it, it comes full circle is essentially what's going on. It's, it's that Dom flow. It's all this stuff. Like if you do not understand the basics you know, you really should go back and check things. And Mike and Mike and I, I'm sure, are not great at some, you know, some specific things. Like you're just learning Flutter now, Mike. Like as you learn Flutter, you know, some of the stuff that you do today in 30 days, like just 30 days, if you continue using it, you'll be like, what in the hell was I doing on day one to like save a number or something? Like, you know what I mean? Something so simple. Like why, why the hell, why the hell 30 days ago was I doing like a 90 line function when I could have just did like, I don't know, dot save or something. I don't know anything about flutter. So that's probably wrong. But like, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like that, that will happen. There's been times where I've been asked to go back and look at the CSS. They're like been asked to go back and fix an old website or change it. And I'll be like, why the hell do I have so many properties here? Like, what did I do in this CSS? Like, what am I doing? So. It's just something to keep in mind, like just keep upgrading your basics and make sure that if you're really confused and you're doing something like pasting clear fixes everywhere to actually take a step back and learn what the heck you are doing so you know where to place it if you even need to place a clear fix or whatever. Um, so now the, like the third and final segment here until our web news, of course, is, is it's going to be where to learn. So this is the part that kind of complements people where they want to learn at their own pace or they want to learn in their own method. So I have a couple of things listed here. And of course, um, I'll include some links in the, in the show notes as well. So a big one, of course, is free code camp. So free code camp, you know, they have theory and hands on learning with interactive code playgrounds. Um, they also have full courses for HTML5, CSS3, and, you know, a bunch of other, a bunch of other related things. Um, and then you also, you also, as a, like a small aside, you also help non-profits with various projects so you can get some real world experience while, you know, learning and getting better at, you know, making a web app or whatever for non-profits. So, you know, it's a nice moral thing to do if you're into that type of thing. And then of course you can also get, by doing these courses, you can get a free certification in whatever it is you're being certified on. So if you're, you know, really, really lost and you, you don't, you're, you're more of a fan of the traditional route. Um, or if you're 
just looking to upgrade your knowledge or even like me where you want the code playgrounds free code camp kind of has it all in that regard you know you have the examples you have the code playground you have the theory um and then you know if you want to help nonprofits that's just a kind of a bonus that's thrown in there so check out free code camp again i'll put a link in the description however it's uh, or in the show notes however it's probably not going to be or it's probably something that you've already seen or already know where it is. Um, there's also W3 schools. So this is, a, this is another big one. This one, for some reason, I find is controversial with people. Like some people love it. Some people hate it. At the end of the day here, in my opinion, I like I like W3 schools. I use it all the time just to – I'll forget the, the name of a property. I'll forget the name of something where I could set a property to. Or like a big one is I'll forget what the initial state is. So – W3 Schools to me is just a really great informational website with interactive examples for HTML5, CSS3, and, and more. You know, there's XML stuff in there, JS stuff in there, et cetera, et cetera. And what I like about it is there are free, te- there are free templates there. So, you know, you can mess around with your, you can mess around with your, you know, whatever you're learning, whether you're starting with HTML or you're starting with CSS, but there are free templates on the site. You can download them and use them if you'd like. And they're relatively, you know, easily coded. Like they're not really, really messy. They're not, um, there's not like a bunch of like crazy, like properties all over the place. And in, in, in my experience, I've only downloaded one or two. Um, we can play with them as, as you want or use them as you want. If you start getting client work and there's also certifications available, but they, those are available at a, at a price. So like, I mean, kind of, you know, choose whether you want to do it and do a little research as to whether you want to do it or not. We don't have that. Like Mike and I are not W3 school certified. So, uh, just, just as a, just as a note there. Um, then of course YouTube. So like, I mean, this might be an obvious one, but like YouTube is a really great resource. So we have a couple of guys in the, uh, we have a couple of guys in the discord, um, namely, uh, off the top of my head, Sean, um, from RabbitWorks JavaScript. He's also one of the, the, the patrons, uh, the, the $3 tier patrons that we name at the end of the, uh, at the episodes. And, you know, he, he does Vue.js and that type of thing, but there, there are a lot of great resources out there for people who just code stuff up. So if you're just interested in seeing how other people code it, like you're already, um, you know, versed in HTML and CSS or whatever it is you're learning. Um, you can just kind of watch them do it. Or there's guys there that will, you know, have shorter videos where they explain specific concepts. So if you're one of those guys who likes to have, you know, a library of episodes, you know, sort of saved in your account, so you just kind of like add it to your own playlist or you just, you know, add it to your favorites on YouTube, you can absolutely do that. And they're like real short tidbits or it's like, how do I set, you know, the alignment of this? Or how do I, how do I do this, um, this image manipulation in CSS? Or how do I, you know, how does the DOM flow in this particular regard? There's a bunch of guys who do those type of episodes. So those are really great as well. So YouTube is a really great resource. Um, and there's long form stuff. So like I already mentioned the short form, but there's long form stuff as well. Um, so Sean's, Sean's a good example of, of having, uh, bit more of a, of a longer form because he does live streams um but there's everything there's small medium long everything everything in between some guys have like three hour coding uh sessions where they code up like a real basic website if you just want to watch something going to bed or something like that and you know kind of still keep learning if you will youtube is the place to do that um and then of course again something that we probably all know of so i'm just not gonna really gonna get into it too much but it's stack overflows so stack overflow basically just a big web development and other stuff as well, but big web development and just development forum, um, as well. Um, he's, or like a, you can find a bunch of people on there that are, you know, from all walks of the industry, whether they're like, you know, really big, really like just getting started or super experienced, like unbelievably experienced in a particular thing or unbelievably experienced in a bunch of different things. You can find people from all walks of the industry on there. Um, it can get a little toxic as Mike and I have mentioned. So just sort of like watch yourself there with the, uh, you know, the questions being marked as duplicate and that type of thing. But as a person who uses it frequently, you know, it is still an extremely useful tool. Just 
don't post duplicate questions on there and don't ask stupid questions and don't ask questions unless you've done your research before because people will be like, well, what did you research? Like what? I'm not going to tell you how to do it. How, what did you research? Like that's, that's a big one. So just it's a bit more of a serious developer community in my opinion, although still a very useful tool. So um, that kind of concludes my uh, section here um, until I start coughing. So Mike, if you wouldn't mind taking over for the web news here. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to add a little bit to the where to learn uh, section because everything that you just covered is is very valid and uh, like I I use almost all of those tools, but there's other ways to learn and we don't we don't talk about them too much because we haven't gone through them fully ourselves like boot camps and stuff like that, uh like paid essentially paid resources, Udemy courses, uh stuff like that. So there are other ways to learn web development. Don't think that these are the only ways. Obviously, there's plenty of different resources online. And there's stuff that you might have to pay for. There's stuff that you might not have to pay for. Uh, there's traditional methods. So if you're just going through high school right now and you're thinking of a traditional method, there's really nothing wrong with that. Just know that it requires a lot of complementary learning on the side as well. Like if you go into a computer science degree, if you're going into some sort of other newfangled like software or web development degree that I don't even know of that a university offers or a college offers, uh, just know that it's not going to be the only thing you need. So while you're learning inside of a traditional state, uh, you will have to definitely do your own kind of side projects. You'll have to develop your own portfolio. I equate it very similarly to like an art degree where the art will give you the good fundamentals and it'll give you that degree where if like you show someone or a museum coordinator or something like that, that you have this art degree, they'll be like, that's great. But what have you done? Like where, where's your portfolio? So you, when you show up to a job interview, you bring your portfolio with me, with you. It's the same thing for coding. So your portfolio matters almost either just as much or usually even more than whatever degree you had. Not to say that a degree is a bad thing. It could open some doors for you that you wouldn't have been able to open before. That's one thing that it can do. But again, when you're getting to the interview portion, they're going to want to see what your passion is. What, what have you done? What are your skills? Stuff like that, rather than what grades you got in whatever class. Um, so it's a very complimentary thing. And focusing on one of these is a mistake, in my opinion. Like, like say, say that you really like free code camp and you're only going to like, you like it so much that you're not even going to bother with YouTube or W3 schools and you're only going to focus on free code camp. That's a mistake. You should be looking at all the resources that are available to you and all the resources that work for you as well, because sometimes like Matt said, Stack Overflow, you don't want to ask questions on there if you're kind of like a shyer person. If you're more upfront and you are very into researching, Stack Overflow is a great resource for asking questions. It's an even better resource, obviously, for seeing already answered ones. That's what I use it for. I barely ever post on there. Uh, I only use it as like a, a resource for answering my questions. When you Google something, if you're just getting into the industry, you probably don't know this. Uh, but when you Google something, 90% of the answers are going to be found on Stack Overflow, especially if it's a base knowledge kind of thing and not very niche. Um, so know that that's where like, kind of the answers lie. YouTube, again, I just want to reiterate that it's a, it's a really big one. It's, it's one that I use all the time. Uh, it has so many, so much resources on there, like all the different, all the tutorials you could possibly imagine, small, big, whatever. So again, Lots, lots of different resources out there. Try to learn as much as you can. Try to figure out what works best for you. That's the most important part. But with that, 
uh, I'm actually going to move on to this week's web news. And it's a little bit different uh, than we will usually do. This is going to be talking about new car tech. So we always do web news based on something that we've done recently. And one of the things that I've done recently is I've bought a new car because my car went kaput. Uh, I got a new 2019 Mazda 3 and it came with a bunch of cool things in it. Uh, and I just wanted to talk about some of the cool like car tech features that are coming out and that are available in affordable cars. So it used to be that when you bought a car, the affordable ones, like the lower class Civics, like the lower class, like, you know, Mazda 3s, the cheaper cars were only going to get very base tech. Like you would, you would get your power windows. Sometimes you would get your, sometimes you wouldn't even get that. You would just get your car that could take you from A to B essentially and be safe enough to do that. That was what the entry level car used to be back. Like, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 years ago. Now, an entry level car, I don't like there's almost no difference with the higher level cars in in terms of features. And it's really cool because it, it allows everyone to kind of experience these extremely interesting little pieces of technology that we wouldn't have otherwise. Like if if it was all lock, all locked away into an, like the higher end Audis, you would, you know, the percentage of the people that would get those features would be really low. Now that it's available in all the smaller compact cars, it's a great thing. So what I want to talk about is safety features. That's one big portion of it. So uh, a lot of the safety features that were found in like higher end cars are now in lower end cars, like active radar sensing. So you have a radar that's constantly looking around you and telling you what's around you. Blind spot detection. This one's a really cool one where like if you're on the highway and you want to move lanes, when you turn on the uh, the blinker, it will actually do a check and beep at you and tell you if there's a car in the blind spot or approaching your blind spot blind spot rapidly. So you don't even like obviously I still look, but you don't have that issue where like you look and you miss that car in the blind spot and you accidentally go to the side and you almost hit them and you come back. Like everyone's kind of had those kinds of scary situations, whether it happens to you or whether or whether you do it to someone else. It's just one of those things with driving. The blind spot is a kind of a pain in the ass. Blind spot detection will definitely, definitely alleviate that. I've already had examples of it. Like I've only had my car for a week and I've driven on the highway only a couple of times and I've already seen where it becomes useful. It's just, it's just safer to drive with it. The other thing is lane assist. As soon as you start moving, moving to the other lane by accident, it will actually correct you a little bit. So it'll vibrate your steering wheel and actually move it a little bit to put you back into the center of the lane. As long as it sees lanes, it's able to actually keep you in the center without you having to do much work. That's a, that's a cool thing. There's rear object detection. So you're looking when you're backing up, it'll actually see stuff behind you and warn you if you're backing up and there's like a kid on a bike or something like that, or there's a car coming out of the driveway, it'll actually warn you. Now you're always looking back in front and stuff like that, but now there's another step to alleviate any problems with you backing up or with someone else backing up. I like to think of it not only in the sense that you're going to be using these features. I like to look at it in the sense that other people on the road are going to be using them as well. And that's going to make kind of everything safer around. And that's really the goal of this, all these, all these technologies is to not only make obviously you a sa- you safer as everyone else. Um, another thing is the auto stop fe- feature. So if you're going forward and there's braking, like rapid braking going on and you miss a beat because maybe you were looking at your GPS for a second, it'll stop for you. So you're gonna, you're gonna have less rear ending accidents, stuff like that. That's all again, all built into the even simpler, simpler cars like a Honda Civic, base Honda Civic, a base, uh, Mazda 3, et cetera. 
rear view cameras are now standard in all vehicles. So they have to be in every single vehicle. You have to have a rear view camera. So these, like, this is, I think there's other safety features that I'm probably missing, but I'm just giving a point that a lot of these things are built into vehicles now. It's a cool thing to have. They're definitely make everything safer. Like my wife's just starting to learn how to drive. And I definitely feel safer for her driving this car than I would her driving an older car because now she's going to have, as she's learning, all these features to help her, even though even if she messes up a little bit and stuff like that. Like when you're learning, you're going to be messing up here and there. Usually other people will kind of compensate for that and give you like they'll notice that you're learning and give you a large space. But that doesn't happen all the time. So you might have situations where you like this might come in handy and might save people's lives or might save your car or might save like a little ding, whatever. The other thing, the other portion of this is there's entertainment and convenience features. So there's other stuff on top of the safety features that make the car pretty cool to drive. So there's radar cruise control. Now again, standard and really regular cars. Uh, this allows you to actually set a speed, but then if it sees a car in front of you, it'll actually adjust the speed and stay a safe space back. And you get to control the space that you want to keep behind a car and you get to control the speed that you want it to speed up to when it has the ability to speed up to, which means that you don't have to go out and like try to fix your speed every time you're on cruise control. If you're going long distances, you can kind of just set your speed, uh, set your distance and drive for as long as you want and it'll, fi- and it'll figure it out. It also has stop and go functionality. So if you're in like a stop and go traffic kind of situation, it'll stop for you fully. Uh, and then it'll actually start for you and go back into the radar cruise control. That's a cool feature. There's Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, allowing you to display your phone's interface onto the entertainment system. So you're able to use like your Google Maps, your Waze, all that stuff that's on your phone on the actual screen of your entertainment system. And that's pretty awesome because all of your traffic, your up-to-date traffic and stuff is much better on those systems like Waze and Google Maps than it is on any of the in-car GPS systems, like way better. It's not even comparable. And so allowing you to do that by just hooking up your phone through, phone through a cable while it's still charging the phone is pretty awesome. The other thing is on some cars, even like my car doesn't have this, but they're self-driving now being put into like more affordable cars. And I say that in quotes, I think the Ford Fusion has self-driving now where it'll actually turn your wheel on a highway and stuff like that. So you can actually let go, uh, which is kind of crazy. So there's even self-driving is now kind of being built in. I know that obviously the Tesla Model 3 essentially has it in full like you can almost do a full self-driving now as far as i know uh, i saw examples of going from the street like from you know regular stoplights right to the highway like it'll take you right onto the highway and go back off the highway onto the streets so it seems like it's in full effect i don't i don't it's see not, any it's not issues full with autonomy it it's it's like you still have to be ready at the wheel i think well, yes, it's not legal, right? Like it's not like you're technically not allowed to be fully autonomous yet. You have to – it even tells you to like hold your wheel and stuff like that and like you have to continually press and hold the wheel. So it's not there yet but barring any sort of issues and barring like the government's approving it, I could – like it's there. Like the technology seems to be there already for at least – Like it's early days. It's early days but it's yeah, getting it's- there. It's getting there. It's already in a car is what I'm saying. Like cars already have that ability for self-driving. So, and they can do it. We're just waiting for them to get a little bit better and for the governments to kind of approve it so that you don't have to hold on to the wheel and you can do whatever the heck you want on your phone, which is hopefully going to be the case. 
Uh, the other thing is heads up displays. So that's like little displays that are going instead of on your, like, you know, your regular dashboard, they're actually go projected onto your, uh, window, like your front, front view, front view screen. Those are cool. So like you're driving and out ahead of you, I, I had a chance to test drive some cars with it out ahead of you. You have your, like how fast you're going, your GPS directions, stuff like that. Uh, instead of having to look down at where your dash is or look to the side where your GPS mount is or where your act like display is, you can actually just keep going straight and it'll uh, keep looking straight and it'll show you everything. So th- those are cool little features. But again, there's, there's tons of other little things, but these are the kind of the cool things that I found when I was purchasing a car. And it's interesting to see all this new technology being placed into it. Um, where back when I had my, like I had an 08 Civic, so it's, it, it was pretty bare and basic, just had, you know, the, the regular sound system and that's it. Um, there's no other technology. Like it had regular cruise control or whatever and power windows and all that, but it didn't have any like interesting features like this. Like this is a lot of cool stuff that's happened in the past, you know, 10 years since I bought a car. And I'm just curious because like it seems to have happened not in the last 10 years because I was looking to buy a used car. And when I was looking at even like 2015, a lot of this stuff wasn't there. Um, like obviously the heads up displays in the regular cars weren't there. Radar cruise control wasn't there. Uh, a lot of lane assist really wasn't there. Uh, rear view cameras were there, but like a lot of auto stop features weren't in every single car. So like even 2015. So it seems to have rapidly increased in the last few years that the technology. And my guess is that in the next three or four years, we'll have an even more rapid increase in, in technology in cars. Now there's some positives and negatives of that because the computers obviously in cars make stuff kind of complicated to fix, et cetera, et cetera. But it's interesting to see where the auto industry will go. Like my hope is, and I like we can have a discussion on this as well. I didn't actually have this written down, is that we'll have self-driving vehicles faster rather than like, you know, sooner rather than later. Like I'm hope like I'm really, really, I really, really want self-driving. I trust self-driving a lot more than I do human drivers. Um, but I don't know, like, I just want it to happen as soon as possible. And that's why I decided to lease a car, because I'm able to kind of switch my car up every three or four years and get those new features. That was my kind of one of one of the driving factors. Obviously, the other one, the other ones is like how much money it is per month and all that. But one of the big ones is like, I want to see where the industry goes. Like, it's actually starting to be exciting now. Like when I'm driving now, it's interesting for me to drive and I I don't mind it. Like, maybe that'll go away because it's a new car. But before I really hated driving, like it was just kind of a utility, like I just did it because I had to. And I was okay with that aspect of it. But like, I wish that there was, I wish that I liked it, but I never really did. Now it's kind of, I don't know, there's so much cool stuff going on at all at the same time. Even the safety features kind of excite me a little bit because it's like showing me what I'm doing wrong on the road, showing me stuff all around me, giving me like a little bit of it's making me relax a little bit more because I'm I'm able to kind of trust in the system a little bit. Hopefully that doesn't bite me in the ass, but we'll see. So Matt, questions to you. You're, you have an older car, a considerably older car now. So you're probably the next one to upgrade. Right. What do you expect from a new car? And what can't you live without? I Okay. What can't you live without? And what is just a convenience for you? Literally, like, literally... Ha- Oh, no, okay, <laughs> continue your question. The- continue your question. Okay. So the thing the thing that I want to emphasize is like I understand the basics of your car. Like it I mean it has nothing. 
It has no power steering. No, I'm sorry. It has power steering, thankfully. It has no power windows. has no, like, power locks. Nothing. Like, it's literally, it's a, it's a what is it? A 2003 um, Chevy Cavalier four-door sedan to, in Grandpa Brown. 2000, yeah, in Grandpa Brown, probably in the most base package that you could get at that well, time. Well, has air conditioner. It didn't have this. So there was a package without air I, conditioner at that time. I think that's the era where it was possible that you could. I don't actually know, okay. right? Fair enough. It has air conditioner that works. So you have air conditioner having, okay. Having heard all these other features, right. Knowing that they're in normal cars, like they're not inexpensive cars. Okay. Like does, do any of them appeal to you enough to like make you excited to upgrade? Now, I'm not saying you're going to upgrade right away because of them, but are you excited to upgrade? Okay, this is really weird. I'm, I'm, I'm going to explain my situation. I think I'm going to explain my situation. Yeah. Okay, yeah, go ahead. From a, I'm going to I'm going to actually approach this from a bit of a UX perspective to keep it like in 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 tandem with the show a bit. So, from a UX perspective, so I, actually actually I have, I have a question for you first because before I before I jump in, do you have all these okay. features minus the the self drive and the heads up? You have all of them. Yes. Okay. Jesus. Okay. Um. Put it this way, Mike. I didn't have a proper seat in my car until about like a year and a half ago. Like I was like, I know, so like I know. I'm I'm a pretty basic driver. Like to me, a car is like very much like if there's a problem. Like put it this way, my car clunks when it turns. I've gotten it looked at. It's not a safety problem. It's just a noise due to age. I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to change it. Like that's how utilitarian I am. I'm going to drive safe. I'm going to drive legal. Whatever, fine. I'm going to make sure my lights work and all that crap. That's great. But I don't actually care. Like it's one of those. It's one of those things in my life where I don't actually care. Now. Bringing it back to that UX comment I was about to make, that UX stuff, one of the things I was thinking of is like these, these, um, all these safety features that you mentioned are really great, especially for, especially for your wife or when she's learning. However, I'm going to say something here is that isn't it scary though that what happens if she had to drive my car? Her user experience is going to be way different. Is she, is she going to be reliant? On these, you and I have driven a car that don't have these features. She has not. Okay, but to be fair, the chances of her having to drive your car no, no. specifically or or a car of that age no, are but low. Let's just say, and she probably let's just wouldn't. say it was a. You even said though, like a car that wasn't that old, 2015s didn't have these features. So what if she drives a car yes. from 2012, which is not out of the realm? Just just a car from 2012. I'm not saying though, like, like she couldn't adapt. What I'm saying is, like, as a general thing. As a general thing, for even Learning, us, yeah. if we if you drive this car for a long, long time, you're going to get used to the lane keep. Are you at any point? This is the question from a UX perspective. Are you are you relying on lane keep? Are you now no longer doing a shoulder check? I'm not yet, right? Like so for for me, like I'm doing all my standard checks that I was doing on my Civic, but I could see someone learning it. Like to your point. Someone learning with all these features is going to have a disadvantage if they are all of a sudden removed from those features. Right. And I see that that is a, that is a point, but if you can alleviate that in a way like, for instance, all these features are becoming more and more common, right? So in the next years, the next few years are going to become more, there's might be more features that get introduced, right? Yeah. So the chances of her having to drive a car without a lot of these features now that she's learning like the, these features are getting lower and lower yeah. and lower. And not only that, self-driving is becoming more prominent. So in 10 years from now, right, she might not even have to drive. So this is kind of a, this is kind of a transitionary period we're in, right? Like with all these safety features, 
we might get to a point where we don't have to drive, or at least only in extreme circumstances or whatever, or we avoid driving in the circumstances that we can't drive in, like that that the auto the auto the autopilot can't drive in. So I'm not too worried about her. First of all, she is learning on a on on a different car. She's learning on like a 2013 okay uh, car, so she doesn't have those features with the, her instructor at least. And I'm assuming instructors nowadays will turn them most of these features. I was, off I was about to ask. But I wonder if an instructor, like yeah. a professional in the field, would they allow these features to be yeah. on or not? Probably not. I would. I would guess. But I. It does make me feel better that she is drive when she's driving the car. She's safer. Like you know what I mean. Like I. I. I feel better with her driving my car where I where I would not feel as good if she was driving my Civic. Not that there was anything wrong with my Civic. It was fine. Like. You know, it had its airbags and stuff like that, but it didn't have all these features. And I'm liking the fact that all these new cars are getting them. I agree. Like, like I, I would you like, you know, I would leave these features on more than likely and that type of thing. One of the things I will say, though, is like, is like when I'm looking for a car, like I'm definitely going to be looking for like a used vehicle. Like, that's just sort of my thing because I'm, I'm super utilitarian with a car. Like, it's something I don't care too much about. And so, like, when I go when I go to go get something, something you know new to me, I'm going to go buy a secondhand vehicle. But why? Why? Uh, I, the my question is, like, I understand you were because you you only had one car. Yeah, this this yeah. My I've only ever point, had yeah. one car, and so life, so yeah. have I. Yeah, so have I. Like, I've only ever had that Civic. Once I was in a position where I was forced to look for a car, my first instinct was the same as yours. Yeah. Was I'm gonna try to find something used? I'm gonna beat it into the ground until death, and that's yeah. it. What stopped me from doing that was the fact that. Newer, like again, the safety of the newer cars, the features of the newer cars, and the fact that if you lease, the price is very like reasonable. So, what we, what would you have? Like, what's your issue with, I guess, not owning your car? My issue, my issue is, is that my issue is, is that I don't want to pay the 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 monthly thing con- consistently. I want there to be an end. And with that being said, um. I want to I want there to be a day where the payments end and then I do maintenance on my terms, not maintenance according to the dealer. I don't go to the dealer for repairs. I go to a local mechanic for repairs. And so like obviously the dealer would be different pricing, different methodology. They have a manual for that car specifically. You know, a regular mechanic of course has manuals per car because he has to install the parts. But for the most part they look at things and they understand things from a general perspective because they're a general mechanic. They work on, you know, Kias and Chevrolets and Mazdas and, you know, everything. So that's sort of like, this is where like the, the, like they're, they're a general mechanic. You know what I mean? They don't do like, if, if something goes wrong with the computer in my car, even though my car is so basic, generally I will have to go to the dealer. And what I'm scared of Mm -hmm. is with all these features that I'm going to have to go to the dealer for a lot of these things. Like when something breaks, like it's going to be a problem. Like, oh, my like backup proximity sensor just suddenly like stopped working. Like the car works, you know, like a car starts and everything. But like, I don't know, this one sensor is going crazy. Keeps saying that I'm in front of that. Someone's in front of me and keeps like slamming on the brake. Now I got a problem. I can't bring that probably to a general mechanic. More than likely, I'm going to have to go to a, a Mazda dealer, pay them, you know, out the ass essentially with a better way to say that, pay them a whole bunch of money to then go through this like little electronic feature. With my vehicle, I just go, you know, like I said, straight to a, a, a straight to a general mechanic, you know, with very few things that 
would force me to go to a dealer. I've been to the dealer maybe twice in the car's life, and it's 15 years old. So, like, I mean, it's getting there. Um, so one thing, I the the one of the reasons that I leased as well is exactly what you're saying. I don't want to deal with that crap anymore, mm-hmm. and especially with the new cars. All that I've read is cars after, like, 2013, 2014, all those years have way too many computers in them and have issues nonstop. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Sell, sell, sell me one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sell me one of them. And so I was like, okay, so if I buy a 2013 or a 2014 car outright used, I'm going to I'm gonna be in the dealer because there, there's no warranty, nothing. I'm going to be in the dealer constantly, potentially. And I was like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to pay for that. So my thought process was with the lease, I get a three-year warranty. I get a five-year like engine and part like you know what I mean like I get I get my warranties and as soon as that warranty is up trade in the car get another warranty. I'm using my car at this point. I'm I'm using it as a service instead of an ob- instead of an asset. It is literally to 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 take me places in the safest amount and the most pleasure amount possible. But I don't want it. Like I don't want to have the responsibility of it. So if anything goes wrong, I will just take it to the dealer and they can deal with it because it's not my car. It's under warranty and I don't give a crap. You know what I mean? Give me a loaner car. That's it. I like the idea of that. Like, I mean, the one dealer that I'm looking at, the one used car dealer out here is a rather large one. And they they specifically do have warranties that you can purchase from them. And that's definitely something that I would want to put on there. Um, one of the things, like, like you are correct. Like I was told. At one point, I was told uh, never get rid of your car because it's one of the only mechanical ones. They said the reason why your car can just keep going is because literally the computers inside are not getting super old. They're not having glitches. They're not having, you know, electronic issues because in Canada, it gets damn cold sometimes. And, you know, that's not great on electronics and your car's outside. Like, what are you going to do? Um, so it's like I remember I was told, like, just keep this car and, and like, keep fixing it until it's literally not maintainable. Like, because it's one of the few, even in the Cavalier line, you know, they were, they weren't the most computery things because they were only built to 2005. However, that was told, like, even going to, like, the two years up, so 2005 from my 2003, the computers started getting more and more. And they said, like, yours is so basic that it's like, oh, your car lock is broken. That guy just opens the door and, like, fixes the mechanical lock. There's no little motor. There's no engine. There's no crap. Like, my, my uncle had a problem with his with his car's battery draining because one of the locks, like the auto lock buttons, kept trying to lock. And then we didn't know that. And it just continually kept saying, like, lock, 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 lock to the computer. And so it was just running the lock routine. And it would just occasionally, the battery would die. And that took probably about a year and a half or something like that to solve. I was pretty young, so I might be wrong on the timing. But, like, mm-hmm. regardless of which, like, it's just something as simple as that. Whereas this, to me, because it's so utilitarian, right? Like, it's one of those things, like... I, I get the safety thing. Like, my car certainly does not have a five-star safety rating as far as I'm aware. Um, it, it, it certainly does not as far as I'm, as far as, uh, as far as the online reviews go. But like, just, just as like a thing, like, maybe, maybe it's because I don't care. Like, I, I'm even looking at, like, I'm even looking at, like, right now I'm kind of looking at, like, toward Kia, but then I keep coming back to the fact where I'm like, oh, I'll just get an American car because in general, from my experience, they're cheaper to fix. Like, I'm literally to that degree. I don't know. Maybe I'm more materialistic than you with a car. Like, I kind of want to own it. Like, be like, yeah, that's mine. Maybe. But that might just yeah. be my family because, I mean, like, not to get into, like, the whole my whole family history, but, like, my dad has his truck from when he was 16. 
like he still has it in the garage, like an old Ford F-150. So it's like one of those things where it's like, I don't know. It, you know what this is actually, this is one of these, this is, this is, this is a prime example of just actual straight up tech. Like, is this this new car tech? Like cars are becoming mm-hmm. more of a piece of tech, but even more than that, it's literally the fact that like, if you, if you went to somebody five years ago and you said, my phone has three cameras on the back. Take a look at this. They'll be like, get the hell out of here. I'm not paying for that. Like, that would be the general response, even from a person that liked taking pictures with their phone. Be like, get the hell out of here. Now it's a commonplace to have two, three, whatever cameras on the back of your phone. Like, I think it's one of those things where, admittedly, like, I'm so far back. Like, I'm far back, right? So I might always be back, but I'm not going to resist change enough, if that makes sense. Like, if I get to the point where the last more, more or less mechanical car is like way back. Like it's going to be 10 years old. I'm not buying a 10 year old car, you know, short of it being 200 bucks or some sort of crazy, really good deal. I'm not going to be buying something that's super old. I'm going to buy something new. So I would, I would embrace these changes, but I'm not necessarily seeking them out. However, I also wouldn't do the, the least thing bothers me. The least thing bothers me. And I, and I, but I get your perspective. It's just the fact that it's like, I don't, I would love to have like just a maintenance plan that never runs out, but, but I would like to own the car. And I think it's, I think it's because the way I think of it is what if one month I can't afford that $300 like down the road, let's say like, at least I can just leave the car not running, like not using gas is what I mean, like in the driveway and it's not really doing anything. Whereas like if I miss start missing payments, that don't ever end so for lease payments, then I'm starting to be like, Oh Christ, now I'm going to lose my transportation as well. Like now I'm starting to worry. You know what I mean? Like it's, you're already worried about your monetary situation at that point, And then you start to worry like, Holy crap, I'm going to lose my transport. I mean, that could happen if you have it on finance too. I don't know. I, I, th- yeah, the, the, the thing with lease and financing, right? Like it's very similar, but like you said, you get that if you really want to own your car, obviously financing is a better way to go, but you're, but you're paying for it longer. With a lease, you have a three, four-year lease yeah. rather than an eight-year financing or a 10-year financing, right? Yeah. Three, three four-year lease. And then after that, it's up to you what you want to do. Do you want to buy a car outright? Buy a car outright. Like maybe, you're, maybe your situation has changed at that point where you can afford to buy a car outright without having but to But do you have it. any equity you in, that, in, your, in your car that you've already paid though? Yes. You do have yes. equity in there. Yes. And you have a st- – it could be actual positive equity. So what, what I've, I don't want to get too, too far into this, but what, what could eventually happen is at the three year, at the three or four year mark, you could sell the car back to the dealership or you could buy the car back from the dealership and they set a static price on it right now. So I already know how much I'd have to pay after four years to buy the car out. Right. So they, they give you, I'm essentially paying for the deprecation of the car as it's going down. And then I have a chance to buy the car out at a set price right now. Whether it goes up or down, the dealership doesn't know like from that price. The dealership doesn't know. It just sets a, not a random price but a calculated price at that point. There's situations where it could be could be worth more than what I'm buying it out for. So I, it would be beneficial for me to actually sell it to the dealership and I get more money back. So there's these situations where it could work out. But what I like about it is it gives me the flexibility after a three or four year mark because right now I can afford the, the lease payments. 
in three or four years, maybe can I, I can afford to buy a car, like with, with the, the savings that I made. Maybe I, maybe I can afford to get a used car at that point. Like it gives me the flexibility to do what I want. That's what I did it. I also don't know where the technology is going to go. That was another thing for me is like four years is a quite a long time in terms of technology nowadays. I want to see where we're at with self-driving in four years and where, I, where I'm at with in a financial standpoint. Because if I can afford self-driving in four years, I want to be in a self-driving car in four years. If I can't, then I'll reevaluate the situation. So those are my those are my things. But I fully understand your point of the wanting to own it. All my family kind of owns cars. Like people don't lease. Um, so I, I fully understand that point. And like I, I was very hesitant on the lease as well. So I was like, I, I, I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like when I put everything together and when I sat down, ran the numbers and figured stuff out for me, uh, it just made sense at this current point in time, especially because I was getting a new car with all the features that I would have, wouldn't have imagined I would have got a car, right? Like this is, again, my Civic is a little bit newer. My old Civic was a little bit newer than your new, your car right now, but it was essentially the same. Like it had all the same safety features. Like it might've been safer in a crash, but it wasn't going to prevent a crash in the same way that your car wasn't going to prevent no, like a crash. No, like with, with your Civic and with my car, you drive it. You keep it in the lane yourself. You, exactly. You watch your blind spots. You back up. You you do it. Like you're the brain of the car and the car is a mechanical thing that you control. Yes. And like with with the newer cars, you do it as well. But you have a back – you have a you have a thing where like if you're really tired and you're coming off a bad day, you have a check. Which is what I like. Like most, like ninety nine percent of the time, I'm fine. I I trust in myself. I know what's what's happening, and stuff like that. But that one percent of the time where I just had a shitty day and I just want to back out of the driveway and I don't want to look or like I accidentally don't look or I don't look in the right direction one time, you know, like that. That's what I'm trying yeah, to avoid. Yeah. And having a check for you is helpful. So those those are the kinds of things that I wanted to talk about. Like I just wanted to say, like it's out there now. They're out there. It's becoming more more prevalent. I think because of that accidents will go down like the the trend for accidents will go down because there's so many different freaking features like it's crazy that all these cars are having like there's cars that have like radar that's constantly like looping up above it there's cars that you can you can like view the car from above you that does like a composite image so it, it sees the entire 360 of your car and sees like five cars ahead anyway so there's tons of really cool technology in cars if you're looking for a car, check, check, check it out. It's definitely worthwhile to at least test drive. Like if I were, if you were in a point where you were like, I need a car right now, I would definitely get you to at least test drive some of the newer cars. I would be like, if you're not going to buy a new car, at least test drive it to see what you're missing kind of thing to make sure that you're okay with that. Well, the thing that. is, is like anything I get, I think at this point, because I'm not going to buy like a, a car as old as mine is I think, I think I'm going to get, <laughs> I think I'm going to get like, well, cause some people do that. Like some people just buy. Like cars for two hundred bucks, and then just rip through them. They break. They don't even fix them. They just buy another two hundred dollar car. Which I mean, whatever. That's fine. Um, thing is, because I mean, you're basically recycling at that point. But like, the thing is, is like, I don't know. I, like, I'm so far behind that like anything I buy, I'm going to get like a huge amount of features. I think. And I, I think the yeah. ultimate question is, I think the ultimate question, like honestly, is at this point, is if I choose a vehicle I want, I go to the used car lot, and there's two of them sitting there. One of them is 10,000, one of them is 11,000. And the 11,000 one has like auto stop and lane keep and the other one doesn't. Would I purchase the one for the extra 1,000? And at this point, I think I would say no. But I like the idea, the sentiment that you made where it's like what if you're just tired that day? What if you're just sick? 
like we, you know, we, we're not perfect. Like I've made mistakes on the road as, as everyone has. So it's a good question. It's, it's something that I think everyone should think about. That's the thing. Like as, as confident as you are in your driving, as confident as everyone is, like, I think it's a good thing to question yourself on those kinds of things. And that's why I think once self-driving becomes more, uh, popular it'll be almost like i think in it's sometime in the future it'll be ridiculous to think that a human was driving a car maybe because of how flawed we are because we're we're not perfect like we're not as good right like we we can't make those decisions as fast we can't we can't we're not reliable we're not good across the board that's another thing like you might be good i might be good like we might be adequate drivers but there's definitely some really bad drivers out there that make everyone else's life. Yeah, because they, they hurt other people, like too. Like, it's not just them. They're, exactly. they're not crashing into curbs. They're crashing into other cars. Yeah, exactly. So the more this stuff gets prevalent, the more self-driving gets gets up there, the less those people are out on the roads. That's why I kind of want to push it as much forward as I possibly can. And I'm doing that with the limited audience that I have right now that's probably not even listening anymore because we're not talking anything about web development. Not even relatively close. It's a little bit of technology, but regardless. I mean, I mean, it's web news. Like, I mean, I mean, whatever. Yeah, it's web but news. Like, mm-hmm. anyway, let us know if you enjoyed it. Let us know if you enjoyed the conversation with the cars. Let us know if you hated it. Because it'll give us a good indicator of what we want to do, like, for the future of web news as well. Right? Like, do you want to hear off-topic conversations that Matt and I have? Or do you only want to hear conversations about on-topic, uh, you know, web web development news or i mean we, we don't do too much web development news because there isn't that much it's not it, right like it's there not isn't, an there isn't news it's like, yeah, it's not an ever-evolving field like like politics where like every five seconds some friggin' thing yeah. comes out or whatever but like like we could review frameworks every week but we'd have to learn that framework and then review like it's just it would be it would be too much we do the big stuff but then everything else we have to f- somehow figure out you know technology like phones and all that like that that stuff is relevant to our field and car tech maybe not be directly relevant, but it, I mean, well, it, it's going through the motions. Are, it's going through the consumer motions yeah, it where is. it's now becoming more techy. So it's like, what, what do you, what do you want to pay for? Yeah. And I have like, again, Android autos on the car, Apple CarPlay's on the car. So a lot of the stuff that you're, the, the UIs that you're creating for the websites, for apps is now you have to kind of sometimes if you're in a specific use case like a media player or a messaging app you might have to think about it in a different aspect where you have to create something for a car interface now for something that because it becomes the ux is much more complicated because people can't be looking at it all the time so you have to be able to like show them the information that they need in large letters and bold and be able that it's readable by okay like the you know the google or the siri or whatever like it's it has to be readable by those shown the most important information and be able to interact with it while a person is driving and is not able to kind of directly look at it. So it is, it does have some UX aspects of it. And the more people that buy these cars and the more people that have screens and Android auto, the more it's become, it's going to become popular and you might be employed in a field where you have to create an application. So, I mean, that's my connection to it. I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> I don't know if you have anything else to add, Matt. Well, I do actually. So this is actually this this would be UX related. Actually, is one of the things that you were mentioning there is like you have to kind of keep in mind about the interfaces. But there is like sort of a UX aspect to these other you know constantly passive, always on features like the active radar sensing, the blind spot detection, that type of thing. Because these are 
things that are more or less, with the exception of maybe some LED indicators or indicators on the screen, these are features that are kind of sight unseen. From a user experience perspective, they are very much like expected to be there um, or are just there, whether the person is aware of it or not. You know, assuming they're turned on, no, like no one is constantly looking at like the green light for their, I don't know, their lane keep saying like, oh, it's good. And then waiting for it to, you know, eagerly anticipating for it to go red for when there's someone in the blind spot. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's how it works in these cars, but like, I'm just trying to say that there's, it's not like a, a visual experience. It's more of like a, it's more of like a passive experience than anything. And with that being said, then because the act of driving is taking up literally everything or supposed to be taking up everything you're doing while you're actually doing it while you're driving. You're not supposed to be texting or anything because you're supposed to be just driving. I think that maybe we're hitting a peak with cars, which is why maybe it fired up so fast because, you know, once you have, you know, the back, the sides, the parking, the the front, the braking, all this stuff, more or less automated, you know, short of the automatic driving, the autonomous driving fully, what else from a UX perspective can you really do? You know, we're at, you're kind of at a point where you're like, where you're like, like how, like how you can't really revolutionize the, the radio in a car anymore. There's different interfaces, different button layouts, but like I can jump into a brand new for focus or something and just know how to use the radio for the most part. Like, they, I know how, you know how like, um, cars now will, and like for a while have had like the multiple buttons where it's like, oh, I want the fan to blow on my face and I want to, th- like mm-hmm. on my car, it's a dial. So do you like, do you want defroster face both? Like, it's just like a dot, but like because the symbols are standardized, I can do it. Like that's yeah. not really a, an, an, a revolution. It's just a different interface. Like it could be an, an interface revolution, but like it's not. A functionality revolution. Whereas, like, if I literally get into a new vehicle today, it is going to be freaking nuts to me. Like, I'm going to be, I was in a car yesterday and somebody like flipped a switch and I was like, what the hell was that? And they're like, oh, that's my parking brake. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, I have that too. I have to like pull this big like <laughs> cable, like, yeah. And it's like, it's literally a, a, yeah. a it's, it is <laughs> literally, and I'm fucking serious, it is literally me pulling a, a, like a thing. I mean, the people have seen it. You pull up the little thing. You know, like you pull up the little lever. A lot of people have that where you pull it up and it's actually an electronic switch. Mine is you are physically tightening a, a, a cable under the vehicle. Where you're like literally physically pulling it tight and then locking it into place. Like that, like just that. I'm just like, what the hell? Like, for example, if my windshield gets broken, I go get a new windshield if my windshield gets broken in one of these fancy ass cars, I gotta go get it all synced back up. The freaking detection and the radar has to know what the new window is, and there's probably a special window thing. Like it's a big, you know what I mean? It's a big problem. Like there's like there's there's features that are affected by the fact that I had to get a new window. Like it's it's no longer as simple as it was. So from a UX perspective, my car is simpler. Your car is safer. So mm-hmm. also as a really brief Absolutely. like end thing, because like I gotta take off. Um, as a really brief, like, end thing, um, price plays a big thing. Like, I don't really value a car over 10 grand. Like, I went to a lot, one, I went to I a agree. lot one time and I was like, I was looking and they only had like one $10,000 car. And the first thing that the other salesman's mouth was like, why would you be looking for a car for so cheap? And I was like, that's, you know, that's $10,000. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not driving a car in Canada. 
where our winters are harsh as hell. There's salt all over the freaking roads because we're in Ontario. There's salt all over the freaking roads. People drive like maniacs regardless. I go, we live in the Golden Horseshoe, which is one of the most populated, if not the most popular area in Canada. So the people drive like idiots. People in Toronto, it's like super, super like com- like compressed. So people are going to bump into you. Like how many dings and like dents are in my vehicle just from being in a parking lot, people opening doors. Like in my opinion, I'm going to buy this thing. It's going to be safe, whatever, hooray for my life. It's going to, I'm going to oil it up in the freaking winter so that it doesn't rust. And it, like, like that's a thing here. It's like an oil undercoating that you do yearly or whatever. I'm going to get my fucking car oiled so it doesn't rust. And then I'm going to, I'm just going to drive it. And I don't care. Like, I don't want to be like sitting there worried. Like, oh my God, like what if the, what if the bumper got dinged? Like, oh my God. Oh my God. Like, I'm not going to. That's why I don't want to have like a fancy like muscle car because I'm going to panic. Like I'm going to be like, I can't go in that parking lot. Like what are you nuts? What mm-hmm. are you, what are you crazy? I'm going to go in that freaking parking lot. So yeah, I'm maybe I'm more utilitarian. I don't know, but yeah, that's all. That's all I have yeah. for this. I mean, unless you have anything else to add. add yeah. Like? I mean, no, I don't, I don't think I do. I mean, I, I, I was very similar <clears throat> mindset to you when I had this issue, but then. I kind of changed my mindset I was as I was going through the situation. So I'm wondering what's going to happen with yours. Hopefully, you don't have to change your car for a while. Yeah, ho- hopefully. And and I hope I don't change my mind because <laughs> I don't want to pay that much. But <laughs> um, but anyway, um, thank you for listening. And make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials via at HTML all the things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter via at HTML everything. We are on Medium and we're on GitHub. And remember, we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patron, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. You can find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Works is spelled W-E-R-K-S. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. That's at localpathcomputing.com. Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from selfmadewebdesigner.com and Tim from thewebhacker.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on, and we are signing off. <laughs> <laughs>